Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Nolan Becknell. With me, as always, is my co-host, Robert Zirk. On today's show, we're continuing our coverage of Winnipeg's Vital Signs 2017. We'll have in-depth coverage from the report launch event that happened last week, as well as some conversations with a few people in attendance at the event. As well, Carolina Stetcher from the Winnipeg Foundation joins us to talk about the key findings from the extensive Vital Signs 2017 report, and what Winnipeggers are saying about the vitality of our city. Then we'll hear from Mike Parkhill, best-selling children's author and illustrator, who's helped create a new book to help address the common fears that children who live in northern Manitoba may have when visiting a hospital. And as always, Noah Ehrenberg will join us in studio to tell us about what's been published on Community News Commons, Winnipeg's Citizen Journalism Project. We've got all this, some great tunes, and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360. Hello and welcome to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you today. Robert, how are you doing this fine uh, October more afternoon, I guess now? I'm doing quite well, you know, even though the weather has cooled off a little bit, it's still been nice enough to, and you know, enjoy some time outside, it's, so. It's weird because it's cool in the afternoon, it's cool in the mornings, and then it gets warm in the afternoon, so I don't really know, like, what to dress. I'm I'm, dre- I'm overdressed in the morning, so I'm sweating on the bus, and then I, how do I deal with this? Manitoba? I think that's classic Manitoba weather for you. I think you. I'm ready for winter, as crazy as it is to say. I'm ready for the outdoor rinks, and I'm ready to just... Let's just get let's just get winter here. We're gonna get some angry calls because I'm that's blasphemy in Manitoba. I don't think I'm ever uh, truly ready for winter. Well, you know, I just this this these half measures. I don't know. I like the fall usually, but it's too cold in the morning and too hot in the afternoon. I'd rather it just be cool throughout or vice versa, right? Who knows? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe I'm in, maybe I'm crazy. Who knows? Today's show though, not not so crazy. It's interesting stuff. Uh, We're going to be talking all about vital signs. Last week's show, we kind of talked a little bit about it and sort of gave a little sneak preview about what vital signs is and what you can expect from the report. But this week, we're going to dive fully in. Really excited to talk uh, to Carolina Stetcher all about her perspective of vital signs. And then I understand you interviewed a bunch of people from the uh, from the launch last week. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and they were several people who had connections to the Vital Signs Project. Um, so we'll be speaking with Tracy Huckle of the Green Action Center. She was on the advisory committee. Um, we'll also be speaking with Dr. Raymond Curry and Clayton Sandy, who uh, our listeners might remember from past episodes of the show. They uh, helped co-host the Bridging Divides, Shaping Futures Vital Conversation that took part as part of the Vital Signs initiative. And then I also had the chance to speak with Elder Dr. Myra Laramie, and she was a key advisor. She's a traditional knowledge keeper, and uh, she was a key advisor on providing an Indigenous perspective uh, to the Vital Signs project. So um, very grateful to have had the chance to chat with them about their own impressions of the project, and uh, we'll have that for you coming up after our first song. Sounds like a magical show today, Robert. What do you think? I think so too. And And, uh, go ahead. Olivia Newton John is here to start us off with magic right here on RC360.
Welcome back to River City 360. Robert Zirk and Nolan Bicknell here with you today. Last week, Winnipeg's Vital Signs 2017 officially launched. It's a snapshot of life in Winnipeg that measures the significant needs and trends in our community and combines research data with community surveys and some of the vital conversations that were held throughout the past year and that we've covered here on River City 360. So there was a great event to officially launch the release of the Vital Signs Report. Uh, It was held at Alloway Hall at the Manitoba Museum last week. There were about 300 people in attendance, and it was really a great way to introduce the Winnipeg's Vital Signs Report to the general public. The Sky Women Singers performed an honor song. The Winnipeg Foundation CEO Rick Frost, as well as Board Chair Justice Deborah McCauley, introduced Winnipeg's Vital Signs and also spoke to why Vital Signs matters to Winnipeg and to the Winnipeg Foundation. And another of the speakers was Tracy Huckle, the executive director of the Green Action Center. She was one of the members of the Vital Signs Advisory Committee. Throughout the 15-month process of developing Winnipeg's Vital Signs, there was an advisory committee of 21 people from all walks of life that met regularly, providing their feedback and perspectives to help shape the project. And I spoke with Tracy after the Vital Signs launch to get more of an understanding of the role of the advisory committee in Vital Signs. We started to look at some of the different information that was brought in initially in terms of some of the research and the areas where um, they might focus. And then we were able to take a look at that and then to give our feedback in terms of 
Were we looking at the right things? Were they being put forward in the right way? You know, sometimes it was just nuances with languages. Sometimes it was actually digging a little deeper into something and saying, no, we need to be looking at something else. So it was really starting to help to shape the framework. One thing that Tracy referenced was one of the main themes of the launch, that the data or the experiences that were shared as part of Vital Signs don't really happen in a bubble, that a lot of these elements are interconnected. And she explained how that affects our city's sustainability in particular. You need to look at the natural capital, you need to look at the social capital, you need to look at the economics, you need to look at the physical, you know, it's all of these things together that really, if you want a sustainable city, you can't just look at one thing in isolation. Tracy also mentioned that Vital Signs will be a great asset to the charitable organizations in our city. You need to be able to demonstrate to a granting agency the fact that you really need the money and you're addressing something that's important because everybody wants everybody's money. And in a document like this, if there's stats that actually say this is what's going on in city in terms of waste diversion or in terms of, you know, the population of people who are cycling versus riding their cars. And this is an area, obviously, that needs to have support in order to change that. And also with the community input where citizens are saying this is important to me, then it makes it even easier because now we can say there's the stats and people are actually saying they want this to change. And so we're here, we're able to do that. We just need support to be able to do it because we can't do it for free. I also spoke to Dr. Raymond Curry and Clayton Sandy, the co-founders of Circles for Reconciliation. They were also in attendance at the launch. RC360 listeners might remember them from some of our past episodes. Circles for Reconciliation also co-hosted one of the Vital Conversations. That was the Bridging Divides, Shaping Futures Vital Conversation earlier this year. And Raymond and Clayton, their photo is on the back cover of the Vital Signs Report, if you happen to have a copy of that. We asked Dr. Curry his first impressions of the Winnipeg's Vital Signs Report. One of the things that uh, kind of disappointed me was that uh, 60% of the Winnipegers, especially older Winnipegers, think that we're doing enough about reconciliation. So that shows us the challenge we still have. On the other hand, I thought that the way in which they dealt with uh, racism was very uh, creative. They, They speak about belonging, which is the positive sign, the other side of the coin from racism, eh? It's belonging, and they have a a wonderful section on belonging and how much people sense they belong and what needs to be done for those who don't sense they belong. So it's both a positive and a negative report, but the positive is overwhelming. I think Winnipegers will jump to the chance to take advantage of this and improve our city. Clayton was also glad to see that reconciliation was a key priority in the report. I'm really pleased that people are saying that reconciliation has to be one of the priorities. And so that really makes me happy that we can start doing that. But again, we still have to continue making connections with people that are prepared to get on board and support us. And Dr. Curry reiterated the interconnectedness of the vital signs findings. If you're going to talk about belonging, you can't have belonging if you don't have reconciliation. Uh, So, oh, clearly uh, they're highly related. And if people are stressed about their job, it's partially because they either don't have the finances or they don't have the sense of belonging that allows them to be comfortable in theirs. So all these four key factors that they identify are definitely interconnected. And after the event, we also had the chance to speak with Elder Dr. Myra Laramie. 
She is a traditional knowledge keeper with the Winnipeg School Division, and was also a key advisor to the Vital Signs Project. Part of her role was to help ensure that elements of the report were explained as best as they could be with the appropriate choice of words, but another part of her role as a Vital Signs Advisor was to open really important conversations. We also talked about how a dialogue with the group of people that I met with regularly was informative in terms of their own knowledge around how to handle the project, how to work with the project themselves. So their knowledge became deepened with a grounding in what Indigenous people believe in. And an example of that was we were talking, they were asking me what I thought about treaties. And I said, I don't necessarily know if I believe in the term or the expression that we are all treaty people unless we understand both on both sides what our relationship and our roles are about. And Dr. Laramie noted that further developing that understanding can only happen through continuing to have conversations and by asking difficult questions. Well, I think Vital Science has an opportunity to have a dialogue about what were the foundational things that were here in the lives of Indigenous people prior to contact. Because we don't teach about that in schools yet. We don't teach about that. We don't talk about it. We talk about residential schools because, interestingly enough, that's a, a comfortable uncomfortableness. It's become comfortable to talk about residential schools and treaties. But we don't spend much time talking about what was it that the government wanted to kill in the Indian child? What was it? The it. That's my whole job now, and that's what I spend a lot of time doing with Winnipeg School Division. And I'm hoping that can rub off into vital signs with staffs of organizations who do this work. Because they need to know what we had before contact in order to understand what the government tried to take away and why these treaties are so crucial. Dr. Laramie mentioned that she was honored to advise the project and hopes that now that the Vital Signs Report is public, it will open up more dialogues among all Winnipeggers. We say minoteuen, good-heartedness in Cree. And when I think about Vital Signs, it's a good-hearted project. And so in that sense of good-heartedness, maybe we can stay down to earth and truthful about the work and the faces of the people that came together, the looks on their, their faces as they talked to each other around the tables, as they spread their own words of, you know, what was, what was their truth. I think that doesn't happen enough. And if Vital Science could be involved in more of that, then we're going to be a better place for it. And if you'd like to see the Winnipeg's Vital Signs report for yourself, you can log on to the website. That's winnipegvitalsigns.org. And you can get all of the information there as well as download the full report if you like. Or you can request a copy from the Winnipeg Foundation by calling 204-944-9474. Again, that's 204-944-9474. Thanks, Robert. Coming up after the break, Carolina Stetcher was an integral part of putting Winnipeg's Vital Signs 2017 together. She's going to be joining us in studio up next to tell us all about it. But before we get to that, Emeralds with My Promise right here on River City 360.
Thank you for listening to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you today. And we're now joined in studio by Carolina Stetcher. She's the Community Engagement Convener at the Winnipeg Foundation. Carolina, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Noel. I'm it, super excited to be here. It's our pleasure. So you were one of the main, basically the main driving force behind Winnipeg Vital Signs. And today's show is all about vital signs. So before we kind of get into the meat and potatoes, uh, like the launch just happened last Thursday. So the public now has all the data and all the information. How does it feel to kind of finally be on the other side of things now that you, the report is out and Vital Signs is, uh, is, is gone public? Well, I think um, we are all, uh, the Vital Signs team here at the Winnipeg Foundation are very, very excited that it got out the door. Uh, We are uh, so proud of the publication as um, uh, in terms of information that it uh, gives the general populace, the uh, possibilities around it in terms of inspiring action. And uh, yeah, we can't wait to see it uh, take off. We were at the uh, launch event last week, as I mentioned, and uh, it was really interesting to see the response of some of the people who hadn't seen the stats yet, and a lot of sort of heads were turning and nods and and sort of shocked uh, little moments when when the videos and stuff were playing. But what are some of the things that you learned from the report that kind of stood out to you? Uh, Well, I think that there was a, a... A number of uh, stats, that statistics that uh, are included in the report that really were, um, they were difficult. I'm not sure mm. shocking is, a, is the right word. How do you mean difficult? Difficult. Well, for example, the, uh, we hear about uh, this week happens to be, uh, or next week happens to be the uh, week of remembering and acknowledging the murdered and missing women and girls uh, in Canada, and in uh, this, there's a statistic included in Vital Signs that shows that if you're an Indigenous woman and girl, you're 12 times more likely to go missing or murdered in Canada, and you're 18 times more likely to go missing or murdered in Manitoba. Oh wow! So that's a that's a very very um, difficult statistic. Uh, uh, to see. So, but uh, the balance of that, there is also some very, very um, uh, positive uh, information and stories in uh, the Vital Signs publication that really sort of uh, balance out some of the findings, the difficult findings that that uh, are included in the report. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Canada has a long way to go when it comes to reconciliation. And, and clearly by the stats, Manitoba is in some ways a little bit behind the curve when it comes to sort of the national scene. Uh, so reconciliation is one of these four key findings that the Vital Signs Report talks about. We also have belonging, the lines that divide, and well-being. So how did these four particular key findings uh, get settled on in the, in the report? Well, I think right from the outset, Nolan, the, these uh, themes kept emerging. They kept coming up. And in one way, shape, or form, and um, there because the those themes are supported by a number of the different statistics that are that you'll see throughout the report, and um, uh, they are all uh, very much interconnected, uh, and uh, w- that interconnectivity is is I think what really solidified the top four for us and how necessary it is to have all those things in order to have a, a you know a, a healthy thriving uh, life uh, personally and also a healthy and thriving community so these four 
key findings. I understand you spoke with Winnipeggers about the key findings. So what was that process like? How did you talk to people and and what did they say? Yes, absolutely. We did uh, pretty extensive community consultations in in various forms over the last uh, year. And uh, again, these themes uh, emerged uh, time after time in uh, different ways, shapes and forms. And with the um, uh, outcome, with those outcomes, we actually went back to uh, Winnipeggers and uh, asked them uh, directly about it. So, for example, we went to the streets and asked people to respond to the key findings. We asked, do you think Winnipeg is doing enough to address reconciliation? And here's what they said. That's a tough one. Um, it's hard to say when when those wounds heal or or how much people have to do in order for those wounds to heal. I think overall the effort has started but I think it's a long ways away from being reconciled. We also asked if they were ever stressed about personal finances. Oh all the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah uh, financial stress is a part of daily life for my family. No not really. Yeah I, I run a pretty tight ship. <laughs> I don't spend too much so yeah. We asked Winnipeggers if they knew their neighbors well enough to ask for help. It's very important to know and I know my neighbor. Uh, we always see sometime in the garden so we raise hand and we know that who are they like you know. We have a very tight community. I live in Norwood we're, so we're in a very tight community. I'd ask any of them. To be honest I don't. I don't think I do. That's just because I'm barely home. And finally, we asked Winnipeggers if they had ever felt discriminated against for any reason. Being an immigrant, I didn't felt it. I've been living here for more than three years now, less than three years, I would say. And uh, I would completely uh, go with the slogan, Friendly Manitoba. Everybody's been so friendly here and very helpful. No, I'm, I'm white. Like, as bad as it is, I don't really face any sort of issues that way. Yeah, a little bit of it, yeah. No, I just get like stares, like I don't belong here because of my scarf and religion, yeah. So those four questions sort of pertain to the four key findings, reconciliation, belonging, the lines that divide, and well-being. Uh, were any of those particular key findings surprising to you or did, I mean, you said sort of inherently uh, they kept emerging throughout the whole process, but was one of them stick, does one of them stick out as something that you didn't anticipate uh, learning about Winnipeg? You know, I, I don't know, actually. Really. I think, I think that um, when you, uh, when people sit down and, and read the report and sit and think about it, I think that they're all, it, I, I think that they, None of the findings are particular surprises, but I think what's particularly um, important is that those findings are backed by research, mm -hmm. they are backed by statistics, they are backed by consultation. I think it's really important and gives us an opportunity to work together in in terms of uh, working as a as individuals and uh, as a community to make Winnipeg a better place to be. Very true. We've been de we've been digging in pretty deep uh, into the report here at River City 360. So the next, I think, we've got weeks and weeks and weeks of stories and content and uh, analysis and and uh, just discussing the Vital Signs report. But where can our listeners find the the Vital Signs report right now? 
They can find it online at winnipegvitalsigns.org or at the uh, Winnipeg Foundation website, which is wpgfdn.org. Perfect. That's Winnipeg Vital Signs, all one word, dot org. Carolina Stetcher, Community Engagement Convener at the Winnipeg Foundation. Thank you so much for talking to us about Vital Signs today, and uh, good luck in the future. Thank you, Nolan. Thanks, Nolan. Coming up next, our very own Stacy Cardigan-Smith covered a recent new program from the Children's Hospital Foundation of Manitoba that aims to help lessen the anxiety of children from northern communities who have to visit hospitals through a new children's book. It's a very nice story. Stacy spoke with the writer and illustrator of the book titled Nindushkin Agadenema, which translates to My New Friend, The First Visit to the Hospital. Before we get to that, though, we're going to hear On the Sunny Side of the Street by the BBC Big Band right here on RC360. Sunny side of the street 
Welcome back to River City 360. As we mentioned before the break, River City 360's Stacey Cardigan-Smith recently attended the launch of a new children's book and a new program that is going to be used to help young patients from northern Manitoba and from Nunavut with any fears or anxieties they might, they might have about visiting hospitals in Winnipeg. Uh, the man who wrote and illustrated the book is named Mike Parkhill. He's a best-selling Canadian author and illustrator. Stacy spoke with Mike about the importance of making his book available uh, to Manitoba's Indigenous languages, as well as English, to help as many kids as possible. Stacy. So, we've got this great book here. Can you tell me, like, how did this project, what's your role in it? How did it come to be? Well, I've done children's books before because I want parents to read to the children. And I couldn't, fa couldn't find anywhere where a parent could actually pick up a book that they were able to read because most parents today's day and age can't speak the indigenous language. I read a report in New Brunswick that said 78% of the parents thought it was very important or somewhat important to pass the language on to their children, but they just simply didn't have that ability. So when I started doing these books, I found a, a lady named Veronica Atwin who's been passed on, but her son gave me her stuff uh, that she was a linguist and a teacher. And I was able to speak Maliseet based on the phonetics that she had. I shouldn't say speak Maliseet, I was able to say the Maliseet words. I didn't know what I was saying, but my diction, the uh, linguists were telling me was pretty good. And then I figured there's a special sauce needed for a parent to read to their child, even if the parent can't speak the language. Um, children form about 5,000 words and sentence structure between the age of three and five. And if we could get them learning the sentence structure and learning some vocabulary at that age, it would stick with them their whole life. At the same time, cognitively, they're developing self-identity. And if they can identify with the roots, um, we can reduce a lot of the social ills as well. Tell me a little bit about that. Like, How does knowing um, traditional language help people kind of be more comfortable about themselves? Let's take in English, for instance, a rock is an uh, inanimate object. In indigenous languages of the Algonquin root, which this is, uh, a rock is alive, so it's animate. It talks about the worldview. You know, we heard the prayer this morning about the water being a, it's a spirit. It's not a god, it's a spirit, which means it's alive. And, uh, you know, it's that worldview that everything around us is alive. This is why there's so much uh, scrutiny around what we're doing to Mother Earth, because from an indigenous worldview point of view, um, you're actually harming an animate object or an animate person. Uh, you're not harming something inanimate. It's a totally different way to look at things, and it's an amazing way to look at things. I, I, I'm in love with the culture, so yeah, you, you're not going to get me to say anything but glowing things about it. Okay, so tell me about, about this book here, My New Friend. It was developed specifically through, for um, communities here in Manitoba, right? Can you tell me about how the project came about? Yeah, I got a phone call from uh, from the Reed Committee and uh, Dr. Rod and Dr. Sharma, and they said we want to get some books um, because they want to ideally buy five books for every child that goes through Sick Kids Hospital, 
And I said, well, sure, you can get books, but, you know, what's your story? I never just say yes or no to anyone. I always say, what's your story? Because there's so much to learn. And they told me about a, a child that was medevaced here. It was a four-hour helicopter flight. And they had to operate on the child as soon as he landed. And, and just um, how unfamiliar everything was. And I said, you know, it'd be really neat. I'm always looking for stories to write. And I always am looking to help someone with the story. Uh, not just save or help some parent save the language, but also have a, a message in there that's going to help parents reconnect with the children. And that just seemed like something that was badly needed. So from there I met with the Reed Committee at the hospital and they advised me on a lot of things. They actually kind of took it over for a while. So uh, I ended up taking a lot of their suggestions and then uh, I had free reign on the illustrations but they were pretty exact in what they wanted. Uh, key components or building blocks of the story. Uh, just they weren't published anywhere. They've got books to on-ramp kids into the emergency hospital or the emergency ward. So I wanted to make sure everything we wrote about has never been written here before. So that's what this book is. And then, so and it's in. It'll be translated into three different languages. Can you tell me about the process for doing that? Um. Yeah, we end up finding someone that's a very strong, very strong linguistically, uh, very strong as a traditionalist as well. And a, a lot of words, you know, um, you know, in this one, Wanda chose a word for x-ray, for instance. It's never been spoken as my, would be my guess, but it's taking a picture that sees through something. Because it's a verb-based language, um, some of these words need to be created. Like when I was in Nunavut, uh, the word for internet is ikiaki shoot. It means my body stays here, but my soul goes other places to see. It's descriptive. I never really understood what descriptive was until I started working with the First Nations. And uh, yeah, it's this. That's beautiful. It really is. It's amazing. It really is. Wow. So what. I mean, you talked about how you want um, you want families to kind of connect with the languages and stuff. Like th this one, do you have a specific goal for, for this story or like what, what would you like to see happen because of this? You know, I'd, I'd love to see other people start doing books in this style. Um, might help anyone that wants to. Um, I'm not an author nor am I an illustrator. I just do this because there's a need. And uh, I only take on the projects where there is a, a strong need. My son asked me what happens if someone copies all this stuff and I said well then I've done my job. It's not my language to save, it's not my culture to save. So it's my job to take what I've learned and teach other people how to save it. You know if the language and culture goes away I, I can just go on to something else. But this is Gilan Anishinaabe's gift from the creator. It's their way to talk to their creator. And it's their way to form self-identity. And it's my job to teach them how to do that. So I would love to be put out of business, quite frankly. That's great, Mike. Well, I hope you get put out of business. So do I. <laughs> okay, thanks so much for talking to me today. Okay, thank okay, you. Great. Thanks, Stacy.
For more information about the book or about the Children's Hospital Foundation of Manitoba, you can visit goodbear.mb.ca. Coming up after the break, Noah Ehrenberg is going to be on his way into the studio right shortly to tell us about this week, what's being published on Community Community News Commons, Winnipeg's citizen journalism project. But before we get to that, here's I.D. Gorm with September Song, despite being in October, right here on RC360. When you meet with the young men early in spring, they court you in song and rhyme. They woo you with words and a clover ring But if you examine the goods they bring They have little to offer but the songs they sing And a plentiful waste of time of day A plentiful waste of time Oh, it's a long, long while From May to December But the days grow short When you reach September When the autumn weather Turns the leaves to flame Hello 
everyone. Thank you for listening to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you today. And we're now joined in studio by Noah Ehrenberg. He's the convener of Community News Commons and friend of the show. Noah, thank you for joining us. It's great to be here. So we talk about news when you come on the program. We talk about community news. We talk about what people are posting on Community News Commons because it can really be a little bit of anything. There can be human rights interest stories. There can be concert reviews. There can be something as innocuous as a little community barbecue that people are having. It could be anything. So what are some of the stories that people are producing for Community News Commons this week? Well, th- this week I'd like to uh, focus on a story by uh, Gino D'Astasio, who happens to be a uh, University of Winnipeg um, director of the Institute of Urban Studies. And uh, he has written a piece about the cost of homelessness. Now, you may think, oh, homelessness is, it doesn't cost us very much as a society. But uh, according to his article here and according to some statistics that he quotes, homelessness has a huge cost to our society and uh, he breaks down some of the numbers that uh, in Canada persons struggling with homelessness and mental illness the annual costs are uh, could be as high as $53,000 per person what and uh, yeah you when you break it down really it's um, it's the health cost it's the cost associated with um, you know the time that they may spend in hospital or mm-hmm. the time that they may you know be calling police or an ambulance even their legal costs like when it comes to being incarcerated or you know interaction with the police or that's court per year per year oh wow yeah and I mean it's different in different parts of the country For and sure. uh, and um, uh, you know, here in Winnipeg, we're pretty much average, but, um, you know, for example, um, the average cost of homeless, homelessness ranged from just over um, 29000 in Moncton to as high as 59000 in Toronto. Uh, mm-hmm. In Winnipeg, it was uh, about $45,500 per year. And um, so, like I say, all these costs that uh, come into effect when somebody is homeless. And um, this is the reason why Gino D'Astasio was writing that it's time that we put housing first, that we had a national housing strategy, that we actually um, put in a program that um, is known as the Housing First model. And that would, uh, according to um, Gino D'Astasio's article, that would only cost uh, about $22,000 um, uh, on per the person? high end of things per person, um, and as low as say uh, fourteen thousand dollars. So, um, really, providing homes or providing housing for those who need it costs a lot less than having people homeless. I, I've heard that argument a lot in the sense that if you put the money in proactively into helping problems like that, then instead of reactively of paying medical bills and all these other issues that you just mentioned that mm-hmm. that's a way to do it but why like why why if it seems like such an easy solution how come we don't implement it well i think it's because we've never really had a national housing strategy so it's something mm. new for canada uh and also the pro uh, the you know the problem of homelessness is something that we're um you know, we're just, um, you know, g- grappling with and it's right. getting worse and worse and it's uh, and the costs are, are, are getting higher and higher. So um, you can check out Gino D'Astasio's article that's called, Is It Time We Put Housing First? You just go to communitynewscommons.org and check out his article on uh, CNC. It's, that, uh, it's there for you to read. A great example of something that you never know what you're going to find. Like, that's incredibly informative. It's mm-hmm. interesting. It can provoke thought and provoke conversation, hopefully, and, and right on CNC. You never know.
Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah, and another article that I really wanted to mention um, is from a writer who lives in Denmark. And uh, you're saying, what's a writer living in Denmark uh, writing for Community News Commons here in Winnipeg? Yeah. Well, when we, we have our meetings every um, the last Thursday of every month, uh, story meetings, and uh, one of our uh, journalists, Hella Wilson, uh, who is from Winnipeg, she brought a friend to uh, one of these story meetings, and her friend happened to be a Danish journalist. Her name is Annette uh, Christensen and um, Annette um, came here and did an article about an event in Riverton uh, that she attended in July. And then when she went back to Denmark, she said, "Hey, I'd like to keep writing for uh, wow. CNC." And so she came up with a story idea about a Danish filmmaker who um, uh, lives in Denmark uh, that Annette uh, went and visited. And um, his name is Ole Yap, and um, uh, the filmmaker, uh, this Danish filmmaker, has just completed a film about. A, um, a crew of Danish explorers back in, was about 400 years ago, they tried to find the Northwest Passage and they ended up, you know, in Hudson Bay in northern Manitoba. And um, hmm. they didn't make it, unfortunately. Uh, there were a few survivors, including the uh, captain, um, Jens Monk. Um, and now this filmmaker, uh, Ole Yap, has done a, a film about this particular exploration. And the interesting thing is you can see photos of the filmmaker and uh, he's in various parts of um, Greenland and Norway, Sweden and Denmark. And it looks like northern Manitoba, uh, mm. but it isn't. It's actually these other uh, circumpolar countries where he's trying to recreate northern Manitoba. So they had to, there's a very interesting story about what they had to do to recreate the story, to tell it, because there wasn't a lot of uh, historical, there wasn't even a photograph or a, oh, a, a, or a painting of Jens Monk. So they had to sort of recreate the um, story from cool. his diary and from a, a number of different sources. So it's a great story by our, um, our Danish correspondent, Very nice. <laughs> Annette Christensen. It's uh, called Arctic Explorer. Jens Monk will always be in my heart. You can check that out on communitynewscommons.org. Community news transcends <laughs> nationality. <laughs> it sure does. At CNC. That's uh, awesome to hear. Usually you have st- three stories for us. So what was the third one uh, that you wanted to highlight this week for uh, uh, CNC? It was, it was a story by Shirley Kowalczyk who uh, covered a um, lecture that was uh, took place recently at the Canadian Museum for Human Rights. Um, the lecturer, uh, Steve Kalelia, he, he spoke about peace, about uh, positive peace, and uh, really about the uh, what we're faced with now in the world, which is, according to Steve Kalelia, uh, who happens to be the inventor of something called the Global Peace Index, which is essentially a, a way to measure which countries are peaceful, which ones mm. aren't, and some of the reasons why they are or they aren't. And so um, in his speech, in his lecture uh, that was at the Canadian Museum for Human Rights, um, he goes on to talk about a number of different issues with regards to building positive peace, um, how um, how costly violence is to mm. our world. Um, you know, he looks at terrorism, he looks at um, different civil resistance movements, um, just a lot of different very interesting ideas is that um, that Shirley writes about in terms of uh, this lecture that she saw at the CMHR. And um, you can check out her story. It's called Humans Face Dire Future If Substantive Peace Is Not Embraced. That's on communitynewscommons.org mm-hmm. as well. So if you miss an event here in Winnipeg, don't worry. The CNC uh, citizen journalists can give you a review and give you a little sort of write-up about what you missed because you never know. That's very cool. So at the end of our time together, Noah, we like to ask you to bring us a, a, maybe a song that our, our listeners haven't heard before. So what have you got for us this week? 
Well, I think our listeners will really get into this particular tune. Uh, the name of the artist that I'd like to feature this week is Amber Epp. And um, she is a uh, local uh, singer-songwriter uh, who also performs. Uh, she performs solo, but she also performs with Trio Bembe and Papa Mambo, uh, that I know our listeners would be familiar with. And um, she's celebrating the music of uh, musical leg- legend uh, Joni Mitchell with a performance um, tonight. It's uh, October the 12th. It happens to be, I mean, if you're listening to our show on Thursday, you can catch her uh, Thursday evening, October the 12th, at the West End Cultural Center for a show called Amber Epp in Blue which is her tribute to music legend Joni Mitchell. Uh, But you can also catch her later in the month, October the 27th, at uh, Stella's at the uh, uh, Centre Cultural Franco-Manitoban, as well as an evening of jazz song uh, at the Park Theatre on March the 4th. So there's a few occasions to see Amber Epp. I would recommend you um, uh, take in one of her concerts, and, um, and I'd like to feature the original tune of Amber Epps. This one is called One Step Blues off of her album Inside Outside. And you're listening to River City 360 with Robert Zirk and Nolan Bicknell on 93.7 CJNU. times I hit this brick wall What am I supposed to do When every step I take I fall I remember what you said to me You're just But each time I twist up my words 
That's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you so much for tuning in and a huge thank you to all of our guests for talking with us today. If you'd like to hear more views and news from around Winnipeg, listen to any of our past episodes, or subscribe to our podcast, you can visit us online. The address is rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. River City 360, Views and News from Around Winnipeg, is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with CJNU 93.7 FM. I'm Nolan Bicknell signing off for River City 360. And I'm Robert Zirk. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Have a great day and a great weekend.